Since the beginning of this podcast, almost 100 episodes ago, I have been mining my 30-year Superman fandom, starting with that tattered red cape, within the larger context of the character's rich 85-year mythology, examining, discovering, and reconsidering the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Now, our milestone 100th episode beckons, and the journey continues. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Son of Kal-El and Kal-El Returns is returning guest, sweet, sweet, Bernie Gersmeyer. Welcome back. Hey, Anthony. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back. It's great to have you here. Quick disclaimer to our audience. I am fighting through a cold at the moment, so if I sound a little off, that's why, but we're powering through. We're going to have a great show. The show must go on. And this will be a fun one. I'm very excited to have you here. And I also want to take a minute, you know, you and I messaged about this, and I know you got a kick out of it, but I'll just share that one of our listeners, shout out to Brian, uh, reached out and very complimentary about the show and the guests and you in particular, and said that we have a a brother, yeah. sort of brother or cousin uh, dynamic between us that he enjoyed. And I, I, I very much appreciated that. I, I did too. I was going to bring that. I'm glad you brought that up. I was like, yeah, I can see that. We're very kindred spirits. I dig it. I'm also an only child. And so I feel like that, I mean, I think to an extent like that lends itself more to establishing those types of relationships with other, because I don't have it elsewhere. So the people from my local comic shop, I see so many of them as surrogate siblings uh, in yeah. various ways. So uh, yeah, no, I thought that was very cool. And how fitting, was really- how fitting that we're talking about these stories that are all about family. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about these books and yeah, there's just like, not to coin a phrase that's already been used, but there has been a Superman rebirth like these last, this last year or so I've just been so excited about Superman books. I have not been this excited for a long time. Yeah. Same here, man. I I definitely agree with that. And this episode a little bit of an outlier for us. Normally, we're taking a look back further in time at stories that have been told a while ago. This is much more current, although we are looking at the entirety of the now-completed Son of Kal-El yeah. series and then that short Kal-El Returns crossover, which really wasn't a crossover. I have a, I have a little bit of an axe to grind as far as that one goes. But It was not. But so we are looking at something that's, that's you know completed, but still relatively recently settled. And I thought it was cool to it would be cool to have this conversation now as we launch into this new era of the Superman titles, which we will check in on on yeah. the podcast down the line. But this will sort of you know kind of get us caught up. I think it's really important too for for people that are listening. Like we're talking so much about past and really cool moments that we learn about the Superman history. But for us to talk about what's happening right now, this is a great jumping off. Right now, if you're not sure about getting back into comics, this is the time to start reading Superman again. This is exciting stuff coming from Philip Johnson, from Tom Taylor. Lots to talk about. Lots lots of relevant material, too, about 2023, which is really, really cool that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, exactly. So Son of Kal-El, this entire series written by Tom Taylor with art primarily by John Timms and then Kean Tormey. And, and then this six-part Kal-El Returns crossover between Action Comics written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Son of Kal-El. And right. I guess sort of the, the conclusion slash epilogue to all of this, the anniversary Action 1050. And 
well, first off, spoiler warning. So for anyone who's not current on these books, we will be talking about what's yeah. what's gone on. Yeah. So that's number one. But number two, look, I don't want to sound like a big head or pat myself on the back or anything like that, but reading Action 1050, I say to myself, I feel very vindicated here. I feel very vindicated because as people hopefully know, and if they don't, they don't mind being spoiled, Lex Luthor enacts Project Blackout. He uses Manchester Black to to restore Superman's secret identity, to hypnotically erase the knowledge across the globe that Clark Kent is Superman. The genie is back in the bottle. The secret identity is restored. Now, it's not that I feel like I'm vindicated for that, although I have talked about how I didn't like the secret identity reveal, but for years now on this podcast, only a couple of years, but for years now, I've been saying there's potential to tell a version of the Superman story where Lex knows, but the world doesn't. And some people have agreed with me, very few. Most on the show when we talk about it, like, I don't know if I see it. Mark Wade himself, he was very nice about it, but he shot me down. And all of a sudden, here we go. The dynamic that I have been longing for. I mean, I I hope I'm right. Right? Maybe this will be a disaster, but I don't think so. Like, I'm very excited. Like, we actually get to see this play out now. I couldn't be happier. Anthony, there's a show. It ran for like 10 years called Smallville. Um you should check it out. It's it's really they did a really cool thing about this. Um, you I don't know if you've seen it yet. Is it streaming? Is it streaming anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I think maybe Hulu has it. <laughs> you might get your wish. <laughs> I got, and then they but then they retcon it, so then you don't get your wish. Yeah, we had there were two scenes on the show. <laughs> they were glorious. <laughs> they were glorious. Two of my favorite scenes. I enjoyed it while it lasted, but. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. Like, especially if this is your first episode. Uh, <laughs> Anthony is a to say Anthony is a fan of Smallville is like saying water is kind of wet. <laughs> no doubt. You know what's really funny? <clears throat> I was saying to myself, for as much as I love Smallville, it's kind of crazy. We've only done like a handful of episodes of this podcast yeah. devoted to Smallville. We've done some, but not as many as you might expect. But then I said to myself, well, A, I've got some plans for maybe next yeah. year. But but B, I talk about Smallville in basically every episode. It's such a Everybody. part of my DNA as a Superman fan that it's not that it doesn't warrant standalone spotlight episodes, but it's just baked into these conversations already. So it, it yeah. works. Yeah, I going back to the identity thing. I know we're going to talk about this too. I love the fact that we kind of I don't even is there a is there a phrase that we can like bendis retcon, bendis cond, rendis cond. I don't know how we can say it, but we kind of deleted that and I I love that. That poss- the possibility that Lex knows and the rest of the world doesn't is huge to me. I think that could be an amazing arc. I I think so too. Look, we did an episode on the Bendis run and just to reiterate, because in the interest of fairness, like I said in that episode, and I will say it again now, I will continue to say it, yeah. I enjoyed Bendis's characterization of Clark and Superman. I felt like Agreed. as I was reading those stories, he understood the core of the character. I didn't feel like he was trying to write ultimate Peter Parker, right? Yeah. So yeah. he got the character, and that that is the most important thing to me. But I just really fundamentally disagreed with the major story decisions in his run. And I know there are some who have said, well, certain things were editorially mandated, aging up John or things like that. And whether it was or it wasn't, it's it's 
his name is on it. So, you know, when we talk about the run, it's really hard for me to get past the aging up of John. It's really hard for me to get past revealing the secret identity to the world. So yes, again, to put that genie back in the bottle, I was very, very pleased. And I knew it was coming. It had been teased and there were articles and all that stuff. But I mostly, I think I was mostly able to to go in unspoiled. Like I I think I knew Lex was behind it, but I didn't know exactly how or exactly why, which was, was an interesting wrinkle to it. So it was it was really, at 1050 was a fun read. There's There's so many layers of why I love all of it. Manchester Black has always been one of my, like weirdly favorite characters from way back when he first came up in action comics and has showed up. Now he's he was act, active in the authority when with the Superman crossover into war world and action comics. There's just been a lot of it's, it's like somebody asked me what I want to read and they went, Oh, so you love the authority. Oh, and you love Manchester black. Oh, you love Henry, Henry Bendix too. All right. We're going to do all those things. Bernie, you should pay attention and buy all these books. So I just I I love where we're going. I love the recent announcements that's coming out of the possible movie TV stuff. So there's lots to talk about that's going to come directly from these books we're talking about today. No, for sure. With respect to the secret identity, and I got to give a shout out to fellow podcaster Perry Constantini. He does a show called Superhero Cinephiles. He's been on the show. He's been, yes. Oh, I know. I, as I'm saying that, I completely <laughs> I completely like on the connection. He's a former student of yours. He is. Yeah, it was awesome. Like uh, Dino Constantine, he used to go by. So Dino is one of my students. Perry now is his adult name that he uses. He's all grown up. But uh, he is one of my favorite people. Like even when he was in high school, like there was that sudden connection like, oh, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. We get each other. And then as he grew up into adulthood and, and we just we just it's been great. I've been on his podcast. We've talked. It's been awesome. Yeah, and he was on this one. We did an, an episode yeah. on the Joe Casey run on Adventures of Superman, uh, and I I bring him up here because I I did an episode of his show recently on on the idea of the superhero secret identity generally. And of course, we talked a lot about Superman, and we recorded it before nice. before Action Ten Fifty. So it was it was a very happy postscript to that episode <laughs> that the the comics restored the secret identity. So yeah. I I say all of that to say I you know I don't know that. I'm about to say is anything that hasn't already been said, maybe even by me on another podcast. But I feel like the secret identity is so core. Do I think it's it's an absolute requirement for every superhero? No, not necessarily. But I do think it can add a lot of value depending on the character and the story. And I think Superman in particular, this is what what helps tether him to humanity. And yeah. and I really feel like while the, I can certainly appreciate the the value and the potential stories that you can tell with an unmasking storyline, I, I think yeah. you you lose more than you gain. That's what I keep coming back to when we talk about this idea of, of the outing. And I just, and not to nitpick or anything, but just more from a practical standpoint, it's it was ridiculous to me, the notion that they would have to fortify the Daily Planet so that he could still show up and work as a reporter and that they have to put a dome over the Kent farm and, you know, be under constant, you know, protection from the Justice League. It's like, this is, first of all, from a budget standpoint, I mean, at least I know they have Bruce Wayne bankrolling all of this, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> but also, it's just, to, I just can't, I cannot, I cannot wrap my head around the idea that he would put these people in that position. Even if he's the paragon of truth and he feels like he can't lie about who he is, that's, that's the exception. And this is maybe the lawyer in me, right? 
one thing you learn, there's always an exception. And so, yes, he stands for truth and justice and all the rest, but he does lie. I mean, to borrow a line from Smallville where Lex is like, you're so virtuous. You lie all the time. I think that makes it interesting and you understand why. And it's the one instance where he does. And it just was so crazy to me that these characters would have to exist in what feels like a, like a pretty nightmarish scenario. So I, I couldn't be happier. I, yeah. Whether it's Smallville, movies, TV, animated, Snyderverse, whatever, like whatever, whatever you're talking about, like the concept of who Clark Kent is, is related to his humanity. And if he's just known as Superman, I don't think we care about him as much. I think he's just powerful, but he's not human. I think whether he's a, a Kryptonian anatomy, he's a human psyche. He's a human emotional shell. So I think we take that away. Like we're messing, we're messing with the character itself. Oh, totally. You know, we, we talked about this in our triangle era event last year, but there's a great issue right after the conduit storyline, the death of Clark Kent story where Clark is Mm -hmm. contemplating whether or not he wants to resume the identity. And Lois puts him through this test, right? She has him go into a coffee shop as Clark and as Superman and as Superman, people want his attention. People are a little afraid of him. No one knows why he's there. It's like the poor guy can't get a cup of coffee. And I think that's a great encapsulation of what Clark allows him to do. And, and you know, again, just to lose that, uh, I, I, I think was, was just such a, such a mistake. I mean, and also too, you know, I love the idea that journalism is an important part of who he is. It's like, I know Bendis, again, had him still working as a reporter even after he revealed his secret, but... I don't know how sustainable that is. So there's just, there's so much that you lose. Well, and I think as Clark Kent, he's able to pay attention to the common man. Like to learn about what's really happening in the world, what a non-super is dealing with. I don't know if you remember this. So do you remember American Idol? I remember Chris Daughtry. Yeah. Okay, so... Chris Daughtry's a huge comic book fan. And I remember when he was when he was at his heyday, he couldn't go anywhere and not be recognized when that was going on. And he couldn't, he used to love going to Comic-Cons. So so basically what he figured out is he had to wear a Batman, he wore like a Batman mask and went to Comic-Con so that no one would recognize him as Chris Daughtry. And he could just go to the con. And they were like, oh, it's cool to do it in a Batman mask. And he got to like be a regular person and go look at books and like just hang out with people and, and do signings. And he's like, it's so sad that I got to put on a mask so that people don't really like pay attention to me, ask for an autograph, want to take a picture. I'm like, that's a perfect example of Clark Kent Superman. Like he needs a chance to just be and pay attention and see what the regular life feels like when he's not in a cape. Exactly. You know, he's not, he's not a God. And it's like, I, I don't think he would want to be Superman 24 seven. I wouldn't want that for him. Right. He needs right. at a bare minimum, he's a break. And it's like, yes, he still has his family, even if he is Superman all the time, but, but it's not the same. And having recently revisited all-star Superman, one of my favorite lines in that is when he's writing his last will and Testament. And he, he leaves the final headline to Clark Kent. Never let me forget what it meant to be an ordinary downtrodden man. It's like just to understand yeah. What people go because that's the other thing too, and 
I mean, this kind of harkens back to the, the celebrity example where yeah. maybe but a little bit of a different angle where people just respond to you differently, right? When they know who you are, whether they want something from you or whatever the case may be, it's not necessarily as genuine, as authentic an interaction. And so as Clark, he, again, he can interact with humanity in a way that we yeah. can't fully as Superman. So I'm, I'm I, very happy to have this back. Yeah. And not, and just to kind of close on this kind of section is I am by no means a celebrity, but I've lived in this town that I work in for almost 25 years and I've taught hundreds, almost thousands of students, the amount of parents and people and personalities that I know like I have friends that laugh. My daughter's laugh. They're like, you can't go anywhere without somebody going like, hey. Like we, I went to London and bumped into alumni and been like, hey, Mr. G. I was like, oh my, I, I can't, I can't get away. And so I have friends that think it's so cool that as a visible teacher, as a visible musician, somebody that I'm visible at my church, that I do comic book stuff is something totally separate from that life. And it's something special to me. And it, it has allowed me to like be who I just, just regular Bernie and not Mr. G or this person, you know? So yeah, I, I read a lot into that going like, oh yeah, I'm not, I don't have superpowers, but I think all of us, if we were our profession 24 hours a day, we wouldn't be a regular person. Yeah, no, no, very, very true. Very true. I also, the, the last thing I'll say because again, I think the case has been made, but the last thing I'll yeah. say, I think the last thing I'll say is, I think it's very telling that very shortly after this identity was revealed, and I know had Ben to stayed longer, I'm sure things would have played out differently. But instantly, when we get a new creative team, Superman is taken off world where the identity yeah. is essentially irrelevant. So, I, I you know, again, I, I just, I keep coming back to that. It's like, I think if it were a more viable idea, I mean, look, maybe Philip Kennedy Johnson, that's what he was doing no matter what. I, I don't know. And I know, of course, DC was headed in this direction of 5G and then that went out the yeah. window when DiDio got fired, all that stuff. But, but, but still, you know, in terms of what we're actually left with, it's like you have this huge monumental shift in the status quo and then the character is in one book, you know, in his solo titles, right? One book off world, and yeah, John Kent carrying on in, in his own book. And, you know, the fact that he's public there, you know, that that certainly plays a role in the story. But I just think it's, it's uh, if maybe if this had been a more viable idea, we would have had more earthbound adventures of Clark on Earth. All right, now let's just pause. I want you and I to enjoy this moment because starting, I believe, soon, we are moving closer and closer to bringing the 90s back for many reasons. Because... The covers of the Dawn of DC, we see many Death of Superman characters on the cover, first of all. Second of all, we will now have Action Comics, Superman, Adventures of Superman, John Kent. We are drastically close to having a fourth title that we're going to feel like we got Superman comics coming out of our ears again like we did in the 90s, baby. I know it, it really, we were talking, uh, you know, but before we started and it really is an exciting time just to have, I think this is a great mix of creators and we're talking about action 1050, Philip Kennedy, yeah. Johnson, Tom Taylor, Josh Williamson, those three writers are, you know, collaborated on that and they'll each be writing those titles that you mentioned. So yeah. I think you've got a great mix of creators with a lot of ideas and enthusiasm, 
more title. And it's not it's not a, a quantity game, but look, it's been hard, I think, for us Superman fans for these past couple of years looking at the the massive, massive Batman output. Oh. oh. Yeah. And don't say couple of years. <laughs> Listen, let's say couple of decades that it's been kind of hard to watch what's been going on. But I I'm super excited. Tom Taylor's my boy. And people if if people don't agree, that's okay. I've got so many reasons why Tom Taylor is one of the best writers in comics right now. There's a lot of reasons. So we can talk more about that online and offline. But I'm very excited about what's going on. Same here. And, so, what, and what we're talking about too. And of course we'll we'll dive into the Son of Kal-El series, but just to to, to button up our discussion of 1050. I mean, I guess yeah. my first question, do you, did you like the way the identity was restored? Because it, yeah. there is this twist to it, right? Where if someone learns the secret, they die or come close to it, right? Perry White, Perry White has a stroke when he sees yeah. you know, Superman in the Kent dining room. So that, that puts a kind, twist on it. It's kind of messed up, but I don't know how I feel about it. It's kind of dark. I kind of love it a little bit. I hate to be that way, but it's, it's like bad juju. Like, it's like, don't, don't talk about it. Don't know about it. You disappear. Think bad things happened. Like it, it like, God, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but I read that and it was like, woo, like that got hard for a second. So I loved it a little bit, actually. It, it's all, you know, it's also funny too. I, I, I like the way this played out because I think, you know, it's it's hard not to think of something like uh, one more day on the Spider-Man side, and that's an instance. And I think probably in in most, if not every other instance, where a, a character has revealed their identity or has had their identity revealed, they've wanted to put the genie back yep. in the bottle. This is this weird situation where he's like, "No, I like, I want everyone to know who I am," and Lex is like, yeah. "No," which again, I like flips it on its head. I really like that. I really like that dynamic. And, you know, it it has that very bittersweet quality because I think as the audience, we, we're, on Lex's, we're on Lex's side as far as the identity. Yeah. But we also know that it's not what our favorite, what our hero wants and yeah. that there's now this risk if someone finds out. So, it, 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 you know, there are a few different, you know, kind of components to it. And I, I thought it was, it was clever. So let me ask a question just to clarify then. So, who does know? Okay, so like, so Manchester for the, I, I, Manchester Black knows obviously. Well, he's dead as far as, uh, but he's he's toast. He's fried. Yeah. So Lex uses Manchester Black, hooks him up to this machine, and essentially, as a channel. yeah, yeah, essentially, you know, utilizes uses uh, Manchester Black's telepathic abilities to effectively hypnotize the world and erase their knowledge of the fact that Clark is Superman and that John Kent is is his son and is also Superman. Right. And we find out seemingly, I'm sure, I'm sure more exceptions will pop up, but at the moment, yeah. certainly anyone who's off world was not affected by this, but right. everyone on earth, except the Justice League, the Justice League reservists and the Titans who have telepathic defenses and the and Jonathan and Martha and Lois and Jay Nakamura, because they were, they were on the Kent farm under the dome. In the bubble, them. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, just to make sure we're all clear, like that's how they were protected. Okay. Yes. And Lex even has a line to Superman where he's like, you're lucky I let you keep your wife. And, yeah. I, you know, it is one, again, I go back to that one more day scenario. I, I think mm -hmm. with 
Not, I think. I know, because we have that Superman 2000 pitch, right, from Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Mark Miller, Tom Pyre from, from, from back in the day. And they wanted to undo the marriage and Lois's knowledge of yeah. the relationship and identity and all of that stuff. So there is a world, I think a different, you know, different creative teams on here could have gone in a different direction. So I took that as a little bit of a meta commentary. It's like, yeah, in the context of the story, but it's also like, you know, this, this could have really gone sideways. I, I, I'm very pleased with the, the mix of people who know that we ended up with. Yeah. I, I just think there's a lot of like that reboot brings us back kind of to where we need to be. I think there's a lot, the Lex Luthor, the Lex Luthor part of it kind of makes me happy and also scares me at the same time. Yeah, and that's what that's what you want with Lex. I think you you want yes. that. He's charming but dangerous. And I think the my three favorite Lex moments in this issue. One is it's actually more of a Manchester Black moment where he's like, "Do you want me to tell?" Because this is after the whole War World saga where Manchester Black. Yeah was inspired by Superman, the guy yeah. who set out to destroy him. And what's so funny about truth, justice in the American way has seen the light, right? He's been inspired. And now he's, you know, being used by Luther. And he's like, do you want me to tell you what Superman really thinks of you? Like what he says in his private moments, nothing. You've spent trillions of dollars and all this time and effort and energy to try to destroy him. He doesn't think about you at all. Ah, oh, at all. Great. I know it was such a punch in the nuts for a lot. It was so great. <laughs> oh god again like we've got people i feel that finally again i don't want to i'm not going to poop on past writers there's something right now like philip johnson for example did you read last god at all oh gosh guys no. if you're out there if you're out there it was this kind of fantasy conan kind of vibe book Really well done. Beautifully drawn, too. Um, he took a lot of that vibe and put it into action comics. It's just that War World saga is incredible. You got somebody like that writing this very uh, rich uh, Kryptonian heritage, uh, steeped in emotion, but very human side of things. Then you got Tom Taylor, who's trying to bring us all into 2023. I, I again, I, and I get Mark Wade. I'm reading Batman Superman's World Finest, and I think that's one of the best books out there right now. Uh, so we've got people that are on the reins right now of Superman. That if you're a fan, hang on tight. Like they know what they're doing. They understand the voice. They understand the atmosphere of what he needs. He needs as a character, and it's it's. I'm ready. Like let's go. Totally. No, absolutely. And I know we were talking about Superman titles. Yeah, we also have World's Finest. So it's, it is a great time. And as far as the, the other, the other two Lex moments that I wanted to, to shout out, one is where Lex explains to Superman why he's done this, right? This idea that people can't see him as a fellow human, right? They yeah. need to see him as something other. And that definitely tracks with, with what we understand yeah. Lex's worldview to be. Though, side note, I, I feel like I missed something along the way because during the rebirth era they were somewhat uneasy but but allies right and lex was mm -hmm. flying around in his superman yeah. armor and all that and then i know yep. we had that imperious imperious lex arc 
and things soured between them. And Lex felt that Superman had abandoned him and all of that. And he tears the he tears the ass off his suit. Yeah, but he still wasn't full on villain. And then right. There's nothing that's immediately jumping out at me from the Bendis run, but I could just be forgetting. And then I haven't read like the Scott Snyder Justice League and Dark Crisis and all that stuff. So I, it just felt like we were back into full on villain Lex mode. And I felt like there was a turn that I had just missed. Do, is there anything that, that stands out to you that kind of accounts for that? I think, I think even through Rebirth and as allies, I think there is a side that Lex is always bothered by that he, that Clark is an alien. Like there's something that has bothered him. Um, and, you know, whether you look at it as a political commentary or just a character trait, there's something about people from somewhere else that bother people or Lex Luthor. It's a really interesting allegory. Um, I think that's been a common thread, even though he's, he's, Lex would be fighting alongside Superman for the common good of the planet. But then when it came down to it's like, you're still an alien. Like I'm I'm not, I haven't forgotten who you are. So I think what we've seen lately with the, you know, uh, the Metallo storyline and really digging in like, no, no, like you see Lex's, you see who Lex really is right now. I think that, I think that's fair. Although I guess that leads me to my my third favorite moment from the issue and probably my, my favorite Lex, Lex scene where he and Superman are duking it out. And I think you get the, the, the real heart of where this is coming from with Lex, where he actually references their time in Smallville. And he says, you trusted the world with this, but not me. And I felt so alone and I felt so different. And this would have helped me if you had told me. And this- We've I, talked about this. We've had this conversation. Like, I, did Superman make Lex a villain? Yeah. And I, even as I'm saying this, I get a little chills because, again, it, I, it, it just it taps into what I think is the best version of this dynamic where they have the shared history that soured and, and, and really this, this personal – I mean, yes, that Superman's an alien and Lex sees him as a potential threat and, and all of that, but there's still – I know I'm um, you know, glomming the Smallville continuity onto this, but it's like – Lex is still the guy who tied his bow tie before the spring dance. Like you have that, that bedrock of friendship is always there. And Lex tries to, you know, beam Superman to the other side of the galaxy or something. And Superman comes right back because he's now been supercharged after the events of the war world saga. His power levels are, are off the charts. And he says to Lex something along the lines of like, I'm, I'm different now. And that this quick smallville tangent, but this took me right back to season five, episode two mortal where Clark is powerless at this point in the season. I know you know. And Lex sends these meteor freaks to test Clark and you know puts Lana and, and the Kens in danger. And we have one of my favorite scenes from the entire series where Clark storms into Lex's, Lex's study at the mansion and Bruce starts wailing on him, just punches him. Melts him. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you put Lana and my parents in danger. He's like, I'm different now and I'm done playing games with you. And it was great, and and he you know goads Lex into taking a swing at him, and you know Clark bleeds, and of course that totally throws Lex off because like, he thinks, yeah, he's like, wait, what? You know, and it's, I think that's the, I think it's fair to say that's the moment when Clark, quote unquote, turns his back on Lex, which Lex will reference throughout the rest of the series. It's like you turned your back on me. He says it like a dozen yeah. times before the yeah. end of the series. So listen, I I love making fun of you because Smallville <laughs> is just. 
it is like just it's your kryptonite. You can't not talk about it or deal with like it. It's always there. But Superman fan or not, Smallville is probably one of the best well-made shows. I'm sorry. Like and there's dips like any other show. Oh, go watch it. Like if you're a Superman fan or even just a fan of good drama and you haven't watched it yet, it's on freaking Hulu. Go watch it. <laughs> Pay the eight bucks for a few months and binge it. But dang, like you'll appreciate these podcast episodes so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to think I've made a good case for Smallville uh, each time yeah. you bring it up. But, but <laughs> that was my that was Mike's my, my pitch. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, that that whole interaction just brought me right back into Smallville. It set up what the the dynamic that I've been clamoring yeah. for. I'm, you know, I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm not taking credit for any of this, but I'm sitting there reading this. I'm like. Do one of these guys listen to the podcast? <laughs> like, I mean, it's not. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. There, there are yeah. a bunch of Superman podcasts, great ones, but yes, it's not like there's thousands of them. There's only so many. It's not. I don't know. Listen, Josh Williamson, Philip Johnson, Tom Taylor. If any of you are listening, great work. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, we're proud of you. Nice job, boys. <laughs> keep on, keep on on. Is there anything else you want to say about 10:50 before we? We dive into oh. ostensibly what this episode is about, Son of Kal-El. Yeah, sorry, sorry everybody. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> people I think people talk about it this. first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Son of Kal-El. I, I let's just jump in. I'm excited to talk about it because I started with doubts, and now it's probably one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Superman saga. So. And did you read this as it was coming out monthly? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't, I mean, but I would, I would hear people talking about it and, you know, it was always on the list. It was just a matter of essentially waiting until I was going to cover it for the show. Yeah. And I think like yourself, I, you know, I probably didn't go, I mean, I went into this with, ex, with high expectations because at this point reviews were out and everything. But I guess when the series yeah. was initially announced, because I was just still very resistant to the idea of the aging up of John. And, you know, we've talked about that, but I just, yeah, I wasn't on board with it. And I think- if anything makes a great case for it, it's this series. Yeah. And and I hate being that guy that goes, well, I've trusted Tom Taylor with all the things he's written so far. So not just that it has Superman in the title, but if Tom's writing it, I'm going to go, all right, let's see what's up. And I was, I am the biggest enemy. Like when it comes to the aging up of John Kent, I was so excited when it was John and Damien. I was like, this is just, this has issues upon issues of excitement um, for those two to grow up together. And then they screwed that pooch so hard. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my gosh. So I went into this book going, you know what? Let's see. Let's see how they redeem that decision. Let's see what we can do. And I just was pleasantly surprised for many different, many different reasons that I, you know, you don't, let me put it this way. We'll talk more about this issues. One, two, three, whatever. I'm like, cool. We get to five and there are different developments. I'm going, okay, now, now, now I'm in, let's talk more about this. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. Absolutely. I, uh, I will say having watched now two seasons heading into season three of Superman and Lois, it's, it's weird for him not to have a twin. You know, I'm like now used to them having two, yeah. two kids, but I have to say, I really enjoyed this. And really, the those first 15 issues really give you one one arc. And much of it revolves around John and 
his new ally and eventual boyfriend, Jay Nakamura, who runs the Truth right. News Organization, essentially liberating the people of the island of Gomorrah who are under the thumb of the dictator, President Bendix, who is abducting and experimenting on people and creating superhumans that he can control and is selling to corporations and countries around the world. Oh yeah, comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. I really liked this, and I, I mean, I don't know, I'm assuming there was thought behind this in some level of coordination or just a great coincidence that these guys had similar ideas, but the symmetry in action comics, you have Superman liberating the people of War World. And here, on a smaller scale, but no less important, right, you have John working to free the people on this island. So you see father and son carrying out similar missions in very different places, right, different circumstances, but the same core idea. I, I really thought that was, I thought that, that played really nicely. I don't think there's been an episode that you and I have done that has had me so perplexed as to where I want to start first. <laughs> like I'm dead, I'm dead serious. Like you're talking, I'm going, there's so many things that I want to say. Um, okay. Can I give a brief history on Henry Bendix? I'm glad we're starting here. Cause this was kind of where I wanted to start. Um, okay. Let me, so, all right. You know what? You go, you give the, the answer is no, 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 no. <laughs> well, look, this is the host of me. I'm like, do I do the joke? Do I do the joke bit first? Or do it? No, you do, do the joke. No, no, no. Do, do the, do the uh, <laughs> it's not so much of a bit. It's just that. And look, I, I know I'm late to the game on son of Kal-El. I'm, okay. I'm sure this has been discussed on Twitter already, but as I'm reading this and you're going to give us the history mm -hmm. on Bendix. I learned that yeah. Bendix was a pre-existing character from Stormwatch and the Authority with a yes. long history, but I didn't. It's a lot. Yeah. But even with that, th the timing 
of this series revolving around a villain named Bendix. Bendix with an X. Right after Bendis had a not so well regarded run. I just now I, I don't know I don't know Tom Taylor. I, I but from what I do know I like I don't think that was a, an intentional thing. But no, it's funny though. Someone must have thought about this. It's it's crazy to me. You know what it made me think of? This is the little bit, and then I toss it to you. Go for it. Yeah. Did you watch The Office? Oh, good, dude. Okay. That's like yeah. So there's this <laughs> That's part of my DNA. <laughs> so the episode where the Italian insurance salesman comes to Dunder Mifflin, and his name is Grotti, and of course everyone thinks he's in the mafia, and they have this whole discussion about maybe he's really in the Gotti crime family. And Oscar, the lone voice of reason, because Jim and Pam are off on their honeymoon, he's like, why would he change his name from Gotti to Grotti? It makes no sense. And Dwight has one of my favorite lines of the entire series. He says, R is one of the most menacing sounds in the English language. That's why it's called murder and not muckduck. And that was all I could think of when I was thinking this about Bendix. It's like, what Bendix. was going on here? All right. Uh, so what So what is the um, history of this guy? I love that. I, first of all, I love that you went that route. I love that. Muckduck, first of all, came up onto one of your podcasts. And third of all, just dicks in any character is really great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so if it's not Superman as one of my favorite properties to read, I will probably every four to five years, roughly, and it's coming soon, especially with what's going on now, I will read from the very beginning of Warren Ellis's Stormwatch run, all the way through Mark Miller's, Frank Quitely's, all the way through The Authority, because it is probably one of the best well-put-together series ever. Feel free to write in the comments and argue anybody wants to. But uh, Henry Bendix was in charge, in charge of Stormwatch, this Justice League, so to speak, that is looking over the world from Skywatch, which is the satellite that is above the Earth and, and, and able to look at what's going on. He would then send out different Stormwatch teams to help different things that were going on. Essentially, a good guy. The power got to his head. He, as you see the stuff on Bendix, he kind of looks like me, actually. Um, but he uh, has like kind of, he eventually wired himself into Skywatch to be more efficient he started to go pretty much insane. He had a secret team that he was building while Stormwatch was going on called the authority. That was, he then nixed because it got, he, he couldn't control them. So he basically buried them and hid them in a bunker. That's where we get Apollo midnighter and those characters, they come out and eventually um, become what we know as the authority with Jack Hawksmore, Jenny sparks, swift, uh, the engineer, Everybody, the uh, the doctor. Um, there's something about that series that for a person like me who loves a Justice League to always ask the question of why does Batman put villains in Arkham when they're just going to escape? Authority goes, uh-uh, you're bad, you're dead, and and that's what the, and that's where they went with that whole series, and it was then dealing with. The authority and Bendix was in charge of them, but not in control of them, but in charge of them. Um, they then had a conscious going, wait, should we be running the world like this? Should we be doing this? And then Bendix went off the deep end. Now, 
with what's going on with Superman and the Authority, Authority helping out and creating a new team in War World. Bendix is clearly the the right next step to bring back as a chess piece into the whole game, which is the short history of what we need. No, thank you for laying that out. And and yeah, it, it all kind of fits together and seeing, again, you know, Superman's new authority team in, in the one title yeah. and then Bendix in the other. Man, you must be thrilled between what we just got in the comics and what's coming oh. on, on the movie screen. Pardon my friend. I'm losing my shit over here, guys. Like it's I'm just like every like I'm telling you, they're they're paying attention. Like they're following me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So I mean, listen, James Gunn probably is. I think a substantial portion of his day is responding to people online. So he may very well be. I don't <laughs> I d I don't understand the hate for that poor man. Like, and again, we're both fans to an extent of the Snyderverse and all that, like Dang, the guy didn't do anything. He just got hired and they're like destroying him. And now I'm looking at his lineup. I'm going, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And I'm excited. And yeah, recast Superman. Fine. I love Henry Cavill, but just fine. Like just everybody move on. Let's go. Like DC properties, more content. Let's do it. I don't care. So this is a perfect point to plug a recent episode that I did on my <laughs> Patreon all about James Gunn's DC slate. I had Zach Moore from Always Hold On to Smallville. There, oh, Smallville. I love reference. that guy. And I love him. We went for two hours. The news broke nice. that Tuesday. He messaged me. He's like, "Hey, uh, are you going to do an episode?" I was like, "Wait, I am now." Wait, you did a two-hour episode? I know it's shocking, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will say for anyone who's been following my George Reeves rewatch podcast, those have been about an hour. Those have been the first few were a little bit longer, but they've all been an hour, some even a little bit less. But but yes, we went for two Proud hours. You. And, you know, you can now do a free <laughs> trial. Uh, I mentioned that to the audience here. So if you're not a patron, if you're thinking about it, you can do a free trial. I hope you'll check out the episode. We, I don't think we express any hate for James Gunn. We did have some some no. issues about the way this unfolded. And for people who didn't or don't plan to listen to that episode, I will just say really quickly, the main issue that I have with Gunn's DC Slate is that it's not a full-on 100% reboot. I really think that would have been the best, cleanest, you know, the, the smoothest way for this to unfold and sort of picking and choosing and particularly keeping, you know, the, the people from his projects. Uh, I, I just feel like it's continuing this messiness that we've been experiencing. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope it all kind of smooths out. I hope all the projects are great. But at the outset... That's the biggest problem. And I just, it's not like, oh, Henry Cavill should be there. It's like, yes, that would be great. But if that's not the case, that's fine. But then everything should be new is, is my feeling on it. That's all. But it's Listen, not hate I, for the I, man. <laughs> no, and I'm not disagreeing with you. But when you hire somebody mid-ship, okay, so let's say, um, let's say Aquaman 2 already came out. Let's say Flash already came out. Let's say, what's the other one that's left? There's another Shazam one. Shazam and Blue oh. Beetle. Shazam and Blue Beetle. Okay, so let's say we finish those four projects, then we hire James Gunn. I fully agree with you. The poor guy's coming on mid-ship. Now, don't forget, we just finished a comic book series called Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. The multiverse is a thing again. Okay, so it, it's fine. Like, I know like, everybody's got their panties in a knot. Like, listen, like, just enjoy the fact that there are multiple 
multiple universes. He's even saying we've got DC Elseworlds. The fact that the man used the phrase Elseworlds bought him so many chips in my in my game that I'm like, he understands. Thank you. <laughs> right on, right on. I'll also say, you know, you were talking up the authority and um, fellow digging for Kryptonite guest Mike San Gregorio, who was just on recently. We did All Star Superman. He's a big my- authority fan. He he texted me after the gun news. He's like, so are you going to do an episode on authority now? And I was like, I guess I have to. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll I will tell you, if you want to have a three, feel free to do your first three panel person. <laughs> like we get, me and Michael just, him and I will just talk and you can just sit there and look pretty if you want. <laughs> I'll just sit my, I'll sit my bourbon and I'll just relax and listen to you guys. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. But, but no, it's, it's helpful to get the backstory on Bendix. I, I certainly enjoy the character and I thought that, yeah. He he worked he worked great as an antagonist for John and the way that he was able to manipulate events and sow the seeds of distrust yeah. on the part of the public towards John right the fact that Bendix is sending in these these post humans I think they're called right but yeah. can control them and so uh, you know one of them gets killed in battle because of Bendix's machinations but it looks like John yeah. is responsible and and so I enjoyed how all of that played out yes the the name. It definitely threw me and definitely raised this question of, was this like a like parodying Bendis? Like, what the hell is this? Well, but it makes more really, sense. What's really cool about it is that you got Bendix and Luther in cahoots. And they're playing off each other. They're in some cases playing against each other. Um, but Bendix is like using Luther's voice. So like Bendix will plant something to happen. Luther will say, see, look what's going on. The son of Superman isn't all he's cracked up to be. And I liked a lot of that. Bendix, okay, so the writers did a really smart move. Bendix, who was originally in charge of the authority, could not control the authority. Bendix creates an authority that he's literally controlling. Like, <laughs> Wait, like, stop pounding the table. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> bam, bam. Oh, no, that was a Dwight. That was a Dwight Stalin reference. Like, we must have. <laughs> yes, great. Great callback. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I mean, though? That that's, it was a really cool, okay, this is, Bendix's character went, okay, I lost this time. I'm not going to lose this time because I'm going to wire myself into these post-humans. And it, it was, it's a really cool evolution of the character from where I'm coming from. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, as far as this central conflict that really runs across those 15 issues, uh, I, I really bought into it. I and mean, we can talk more, but I have to say, yeah. I think what I enjoyed more than anything throughout this run, and I, and I think as a fellow Tom Taylor fan, I'm sure we're, we'll be on the same page with this, the emotion that he is able to tap into. There are so many conversations and, and interpersonal moments that resonate really at, a, at an emotional level and or at a fan level. You know, we get this yeah. um, we get this amazing conversation between Pa Kent and Batman. Oh, yay. Oh, can we talk about it now? Go for it. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That where go hold on, where is it? Where is it? What issue is it? What, do you remember? I no, I don't remember the I don't remember the Ugh! issue offhand. It's killing me. There it is. It's number eleven. Okay. I wrote in my notes, I'd argue it's some of the best panels in Superman history. Like there is something about John Kent talking about how he used to talk to Alfred and how they would talk every day. And I like almost was like, oh, like I reread it. I read it. I loved it when I read it. And then I reread it. I was like, this is still hard for me to read because for neither of those heroes to know that their fathers 
were learning how to raise their sons the right way. Yeah. And probably oh, complaining was, about it, them as well. You know? Yes. And going like, why can't they just listen? And like, why don't they just understand? Like uh, that, that was some of the most real conversations in comics that made me just want more. And again, that's why I trust Tom Taylor. And another moment, I think in an earlier issue when Batman shows up at the Kent apartment and they offer him Earl Grey uh, tea and it's like, yeah, of course they yeah. have that because Alfred would send it, right? Any place that yeah. he knew Batman was going to be. Little things like that, you know, I know this story is still to this day remains controversial and divisive and you and I might be doing an episode on it not too long from now, but identity crisis. But it kind of, it, I mean, I don't know, people might be like, Why is, where's he going with this? But yeah. It made me think of that because reading Identity Crisis, especially back in the day when I was far earlier in my comics journey, and that story I think was the first instance where I really saw these characters treated m more as regular people and as a community. Yeah. And I remember, you know, at the time it felt a little out of place because we had we had just come off of the Mark Way JLA run. And it was a huge deal in that run when they the Big Seven revealed their identities to each other. And then not yeah. long after we had identity crisis and everyone's spouse knows everyone else's identity and it it felt like, whoa, this kind of exploded kind of quickly. But in the context of the story, like it just made so much sense that this is a community. They socialize, they they know each other in in that yeah. personal setting. And and so the the John and and Bruce conversation about Alfred just brought that up for me. And I was like, yeah. And that's why I say from a fan perspective, because it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. But yeah. you've never seen it as far as I know. Yes, and that's the thing that again we've we've gone down the rabbit hole reading so many issues. And for me to say that's some of the best panels in Superman history, that's why. We've never seen it. Like we've never seen Jonathan finally tell Batman, like, no, me and essentially your stepdad talked all the time about what was best for you and what was hard about being around you and why you couldn't understand these things. Like you would hope, I know like I've got one of my best friends on the planet that I talk about with about our kids. Like, gosh, our kids are dealing with the same kind of stuff. Like, how are we going to deal with this? And they're not superhuman. They're just regular kids. But you have to have that person like you can reach out to. And I love how, the, again, it's such, it's so human, Anthony. It's so like, that's what I love about these books. They're not just fantasy books. Tom is connecting us to these comics, which I love about what he does. Nightwing is the same way. God, go read Nightwing right now, everybody. On the note of Nightwing, we do get a crossover, Gosh. which is one of my favorite parts of this run. And it's so far, don't kill me, but it's the only <laughs> issue, it's the only issue so far, so far of the Tom Taylor Nightwing run that I've read, but it, it, it's on my list. Yeah, See, if I make it, okay. if I make an episode out of it, then I will get to it. I will make sure I get to it. If it's more just for recreation, sometimes it's a little harder to carve out the time. But um, but what I was going to say, the other – I mean there are numerous other uh, moments that really resonated uh, emotionally. And one of them is when Clark and John are saying goodbye before Clark is going off to Warworld. And we get we, – this plays out both in action comics uh, in the fortress and also on the roof of the Kent farm and Son of Kal-El. But you know what? Both moments made me tear up. I'll take them even if I'm not sure exactly continuity-wise where they line up. But in Son of Kal-El, when they're sitting on the roof of the of the, of the, of the farm and the barn, and, and and Clark says to John, he's like, I need you to promise me if if I, you know, I don't come back, you won't come looking for me. And John just laughs him off. He's like, you know, I can't promise that. He's like, if yeah, it were me, right. what would you do? 
And this is what makes me tear up where he's like, if it were you, I'd search to the edge, the edges of the universe. And it's just like, yeah. of course, of course. I, I like that. That was, that was such a standout moment. Well, the moment for me too, when you go all the way to, to Kal-El's return. Yeah. Is when John hears the heartbeat. And he's like, well, wait, he's thump, thump. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like again, it's just. And he, and he, and, and like, like you would always hope. And I know that like, there's been times where I haven't seen my daughter from college in a while. And for my 20 year old to hug me the way she does, even though as a teenager, she never wanted to hug me as a senior. She's like, no, like that's weird. But then she was gone for so long. And she's like, Oh, I missed you. And for, for John to fly that fast and just, Oh, like arms around and feel that same panel that we saw where he's a young boy buried his head in his father's chest and he feels thump thump like oh like man again go read this book people like <laughs> i know i yeah i love that flashback that opens the issue and it it was very man of oh. steel-esque right where yes. john yes. is overwhelmed by these new senses and the hearing in particular and, and clark yeah. in the beard and black suit right you know holds him and he's like just focus on something small and like you said it's the heartbeat right and it's a great we get the great payoff later when all of a sudden after not hearing his father's heartbeat for so long, he does and drops everything instantly and breaks the sound barrier and, and just gives him a big hug. And, you know, on a personal level, I, like I, I, you know, the, it's a beautiful, you know, the, the story that you share about your daughter. And so the best part of my day every day is picking up my son from preschool. And yeah. that's the best thing about working from home is that I get to do that. Like that's what yeah. this was all about. And so I pick him up and uh, even through those thick glass doors, I he, he runs to the door and I hear him say, that's my daddy. And they open the door and his routine, weird, I don't know where this comes from, but he goes, hi, daddy. And then he throws himself backwards on the ground. I don't I don't know. I could do without that part, but um, <clears throat> I pick him up and we get in the car. But just like the, the look of excitement on his face through that door and hearing him say, that's my daddy. And it's, it's one of those things, I guess, kind of to your point. It's like, yeah. I know he's not always going to be that excited to see yeah. me. So it's like, I try to just always stay present and just cherish those moments. And I guess I'll keep in mind that even when there comes a point where he's not as excited that, you know, maybe, maybe it'll come back around like during college, like in your case. It does. It does. And like to have her text me cool things and, and like, it's just that connection. And that's, that's why, the route they're going with these books that the emphasis is on family. That's really important in 2023. And I'm going to try not to get like all choked up, but like, I think we're missing a lot of that right now in our world. Um, the connection, we have a lot of broken families. We have a lot of single parents. We have a lot of people that are living in another country, hoping they're going to be able to get over here to be with the rest of their family. Um, we saw a lot of that in Tom's writing. He, he does a lot of clever, subtle, this is happening in our world right now. You need to pay attention to this. It could be one panel. It could be three panels. But it just reminds you, like, our world is broken. Um, but there's an ideal we should be going for. Let's, let's, go, let's go there. Let's go for that. Let's stop pretending it's a past thing, but it's a future thing. And that's... That's what gets me the most. So I'm sorry. Like it just, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I echo that. And I think 
in both the War World saga in action and, and here, in the characterization of both Clark and John, you just see them constantly, consistently lead with kindness, compassion, yeah. patience, and selflessness. And they really embody those qualities. And, and not that previous stories don't show that, but I really feel like it's been a it's been a very consistent through line in reading these yeah. recent years on the books. And even just, you know, one example in Son of Kal-El where uh, I believe this is the issue where Bendix has uh, manipulated John's powers, right? And he can't really control it and he's hearing everything and he's being pulled in a million directions. Yeah. And he saves that person from getting hit by a truck but breaks his arm, right? And then he goes, goes back bad. to apologize, yeah. Oh, yes, you know, and it's like the guy is under, you know, and I like the way that scene played because it wasn't like the guy was a jerk necessarily, right? He was like, no, no. like you, you saved me. But like the fact, like, no. and that's, and that's the thing, the humility. And I know this is something that people cite as one of the things that, that resonates about the character of Superman, you know, either one. And I agree because yes. it's like, here's John. It's like walking up to this guy's door, like hat in hand, so to speak, right? Yeah. One of the most powerful beings on the planet. It's like, he doesn't need to do this, but he does. Like he genuinely cares. And, and you know, and that comes through. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store, Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. And, you know, when we talk about sort of the, 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 the topical and timely aspect of all of this, you know, one of the things that we've not talked about yet is John having a relationship with the Jay Nakamura character. I mean, John being bisexual made national, it was in the headline of the New York Times. Like, it was a big deal. Yeah. I, that was a big deal for me. Um, as a teacher, as a parent, like as somebody watching people deal with identity, issues and that kind of stuff. Um, that was another reason why I'm like, Tom, like, thank you for just being aware of what's happening, like in the world. And uh, there's so many complainers out there. And 
And what's frustrating to me is that the complainers are mostly like white men who have this concept of what it is to be a guy, you know, and, and they get pissed off when they see this stuff and they, and then they throw the word woke around, like they know what it means. Um, and, and I'm, that's not where I'm going with this. So don't, if you're listening, please don't, don't stop the, the, the podcast, but it is important for us to understand that many people that have read comics are white middle-class men who got the affordability to see themselves in comics for many, many, many years. Um, and for me to sit behind a black family in black Panther in the movie theaters and to see those boys and that father react in a way that I couldn't understand. Um, and then to read John going through an identity crisis, I'm sure was important for people who then got to see themselves finally portrayed and go like, yes, like I don't love based on gender. I love based on who I love, you know, and that whether you agree with that or not, that's an important aspect of who people are today. And I think Tom does a really good job of saying all will be represented. All are of value, not just the ones that sell and make money for comic books. No, well said. I, I've, to, I've told this story before, I think on this podcast, but um, <clears throat> for my other podcast, My Comic Shop History, and then the My Comic Shop Country documentary, one of the stores that I went to was Amalgam Comics in Philadelphia, which unfortunately now has recently yeah. closed. But first uh, black female owner of a comic book store on the East Coast, uh, Ariel Johnson. And, and we were talking and you know, she, she has done and continues to do a lot of press. And so I, like, I know she's told her origin story a bunch of times, but I, you know, I wanted to, to hear it in our conversation. And she talked about how formative storm from X-Men was Yeah, because as yep. a young black girl, there were not other instances where she saw herself represented. And even though that the, the word or the idea of representation was something I was obviously familiar with, it really resonated in a much more meaningful way hearing it from her. And it really did make me reflect. And exactly to your point, it's like, yeah, as a, you know, heteronormative white guy, it's like, I see myself a lot and it's easy for me to identify with a lot of these characters. But what if I never saw someone who looked like me yeah. in these comics? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like, I, and that's the thing is like, I can't even tell you what that would be like because I've never had that. So, so yes, I agree when you get a lot of these criticisms about, oh, woke and this, this and that, it's like, look, the idea is trying to represent the variety of people in the world in these yeah. stories. That's the fundamental thing here. Now, I know when, you know, the headlines come out, right, that, you know, it's, it's in everyone's face and it's, it's a big thing. And, you know, the cynical part of me, I think when I see a headline, I think to myself, when I think about DC and just from like a corporate perspective, it's like, yeah. Are they only doing this for that? Like chasing a headline? But the thing that I, I instantly oh. go to two things. Number one, it kind of doesn't matter because the effect is that you are representing more people. Yes. And even if the higher ups who are signing off on this are more concerned about the optics than, than the meaning behind it, I feel like the people right. working on it, right? It's coming from a genuine place. And that's what I come back to. And so I think this, this was a great thing to be able to show what I loved about it was, yes, it was a big deal in the press, in the real world, but in the pages of the comic, 
it wasn't, I mean, there were some, there were some very powerful, meaningful moments, but it wasn't like, oh, hey, this is a big issue where we're talking about what a big deal this is for John. It was just, no. like you said, like he loves who he loves and it just, it just plays out naturally, right? He meets someone, there's a connection, they kiss, they start a relationship. Yeah. And when he has those moments, those coming out moments with Lois and Clark, it's nothing but unconditional love yeah. and support. And, you know, to your point, you know, for, you know, let's say, you know, a young bisexual person reading this, seeing themselves in John, but also too, yeah. maybe for a parent who's reading this, who yes. maybe isn't as open-minded or just doesn't even know how to, how to approach or deal with something like this to get the example of Superman being like, Hey, yeah. like, I just, I love you. Uh, it's beautiful. I need to, I need to find that. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Um, because there's that, that, that final moment where, cause John, uh, Clark's come back and John is so uncomfortable. Like he doesn't know how to fully talk to his dad. Like there are news photos and videos of him and Jay. Yes. Right. So it's yes. like, he, and that's the thing that adds a, a, you know, that dynamic to it too, where, John knows Clark knows, right? But they still have, like, they yes. have to talk about it and he can't bring himself to do it. So it's in issue 17. And so I made a note here. So Clark's talking to Jonathan. And the line that like breaks my heart that I wish that everybody could, could read and see is how can John believe that I would want anything other than his happiness? I want that for my daughter's. You want that for your son. Like, I, I will scream this from the mountaintop. Like, it is of paramount importance that our our kids, our family, find happiness and find joy. Because there's so much pain. There's so much suffering. The world is full of it. Um, so, like, for Clark to say that to his dad and then go, like, wouldn't he... I, I hope he understands that. And then for him to finally be able to tell his son that, like, I, I just, I'm glad. I love you. I want you to be happy. We could all learn a lesson from that. A lot of our country, our country, not the world, our country could learn about just loving on your kids, unconditional love, whether it's a faith connection or a humanity collection, uh, connection, it's, uh, it's unconditional love. Uh, you know, that scene that you referenced, I remember John, you know, John's John Jonathan Kent's response to that was like, not all fathers do. It's like they should, yeah, but yes. not all do. And and yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I always I think about that. You know, yes, I just want my son to be happy. I want, you know, because you have some parents who are jealous of their kids. Like, yes. I, all I want, like, I want him to be better than me in every way, every way. Like, I like can't wait for the ways yeah. that he surpasses me. It's like I we've always that's dream. we've always seen. Yeah, we've always seen you you would tell immediately when you see those parents who are living vicariously through their kids. You know, and it's not about like you're saying I want them to be better than me. Like I want them to live in a way that they get it faster. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Does that make more sense? You like, know, it's like I It's not so much being better, it's just learn Learn that the learn the mistakes that I made faster, so that you can enjoy the peace and calm that life could actually bring you. And that's and I think that's what Clark is trying to say. Like I just want I just want you to be happy because you're busy flying around, visiting hospitals, saving people, doing this stuff. 
but insert our lives into that conversation. And that's what we want for our kids. No, absolutely. And, you know, to your point about, you know, just life being hard enough, I mean, I agree. And that's always been my feeling with, with acceptance generally, it's like it, it's hard enough for anybody to to get through the day and navigate this Uh, world. And we don't need to get in each other's way. It's sort of like the way I look at it. So, uh, no, it's such a, such a great scene. And I also, what I also love too, is when, when Clark and John have that conversation and Clark, you know, no, it wasn't his sexual orientation that he had to hide, but Clark had to hide a huge piece of himself, right? And he t- and he talked about that, and so he he is able to relate to John in in a very profound way. And you know, he talks about you know how you know it changed his life when John came into the world, and he's this you know miracle yeah. child of two worlds. It's 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 gore- it's beautiful, and and I really do like the character of Jay. You know, the fact that he's a journalist, a truth seeker, just like uh, Clark and Lois, Lois. And, and you know, and yeah. that he and that he has these abilities, right? He can phase, yeah. and so it's not like he always needs to be rescued. They're, you know, they're going into battle together, and they're, you know, they're they're kind of, uh, you know, on, on the same level. And I, I really enjoyed the way that that developed. What I loved about how Tom wrote Jay was because he made him a truth seeker. You know, anybody else that might have been dating John, who gets close to John, might go, "Oh my God, your dad is Superman," but Jay goes. Oh my God, your mom is Lois Lane. Like, like, and I laughed. I was like, yes. Like, that's so great because that's Jay's superhero. Yeah. Jay wants to be Lois Lane, not Superman. He happens to have phasing powers, but he doesn't want to be Superman. He's like, holy shit, your mom is Lois Lane. Like, like that's huge. I love it. Yeah, that was such a, such a great twist on it. And yeah, and Lois's reaction too, right? You know, she leaves the room, you know, when 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 they hold hands, right? And, you know, you're not sure what her reaction is. And then they go into the other room and she just gives them the biggest hug, right? Because like, I love every part of you. So, yeah, uh, you know, beautiful stuff. And, and you know, look, the headlines are important. It lets people know. And I don't know offhand, did this necessarily bring new people in? I, you know, I, I don't know. Actually, you would probably answer that better than I can with your involvement with uh, Oh Yeah, uh, Skokie. I mean, I don't know. Is this... What sort of response did you guys see at the shop? I don't, I don't think, again, the interesting thing about a comic book shop and you've worked, you worked at alternate realities forever. Like you get all kinds, you know, we're going to get the right of the rights, the left of the lefts and everybody in between. Um, I think our shop, people have a, a freedom to speak their mind, but I didn't, I didn't catch and, and Joe might correct me on this, but I didn't catch anybody what are they doing a superman's son i i don't think it was like that i because i think it was handled in a way that was not the emphasis of the story but it was it was not it was not a publicity stunt it was a part of the natural progression of the character and you know what I think also, and and again, I honestly I don't know offhand like really what the boots on the ground response to this was, yeah. but but what I imagine maybe made this an easier sell than something like you know Tim Drake for example. There was more of a blank slate with John, right? Because I think yes. we bump some fans right bump up against this when something is being changed about a yeah. character. Here it's like we are just learning a new facet of this relatively new right. character. So you know there's there's that distinction as well, but. Where was I going with that? I guess just this idea that, you know, the big headlines and all that stuff, but 
a really you know sweet story in in the pages of of the actual comics. One of the things we haven't talked about yet that I think is, uh, you know, a fundamental aspect of of the hook of of this title, which is that John John has a different approach, right? He is more proactive. He is more socially active, socially conscious, however you want to call it. Yeah. And he has this conversation with look. If I have one regret about the Son of Kal-El series, it's just that Clark was. MIA. He was off planet for yes. almost all of it, yeah, except for the beginning and the end. But it right. allowed John's story to unfold. It's just that I love those Clark John moments, and hopefully I will get more of them now moving forward. But yeah. in one of the earliest issues, he has that conversation and literally says to, to Superman, why don't you do more? I wrote it. I wrote that quote because it was huge. And I think it was interesting because he said that to Clark. And I, I didn't I couldn't tell like Clark almost responded with a you'll understand soon. Like <laughs> not in those words, but it's like, I'm going to go. You'll get it. And he does, you know, and, and, but, but I love it. It's that next generation. I know I have students that say that to me that like, they talk about the world. Like why, why does this generation focus on this when there's so much that could be done here? And it's not, I don't say you're an idiot. I say, you're going to learn more about the system. We're still, we're fighting it. You just can't see it. Like it's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, but I, it's so funny. I'm so glad you wrote that. I literally wrote in quotes, why don't you do more under that issue? No, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I thought that was one of the most, you know, salient aspects of this. And, you know, also as a nice callback to Superman's golden age roots where he, you know, yeah. was, was more of that of that mindset. I like your, your reading of it is interesting because I did have a little bit of an issue with Clark's response, but your reading of it sort of, you know, makes me a little bit more on board with it. And I do agree. I do think there is that air of like, Hey, you know, like I feel like Clark is, is pretty delicate in his response and probably for the reason yeah. you said what, what Clark says to him. And this is what I had a little bit of an issue with was I wasn't born here. This isn't my world. Whereas it, it is yours. And on the one hand, in the context of this character in this book, I understand, like I can appreciate, we need to find ways to to differentiate these characters, to give them their own identities and sort of making John this product of two worlds and that he's born on earth. That is a fundamental way that he is different than Superman. So yeah. articulating that in the comic and articulating it as a reason for why John can do more than Clark, I understand, I guess, what I would have hoped for is what you read between the lines. And, and again, that's why I think that makes sense. But you know, like I always go back to the Superman peace on earth, the Alex Ross, Paul Dini tabloid says oh. one shot. That's all about Superman trying to cure world hunger. And yeah. it, it's a, it's for anyone who hasn't read, we've talked about it on the show before, but it's just, it's this great examination of what would actually happen if mm. Superman or any of these heroes try to solve one of these very real world problems. Cause, and I can appreciate from the creative perspective, it's tough because these questions are natural ones to ask. But if you have these characters actually do these things, it, it opens up a whole can of worms. And in that story, you just see all of the problems, all of the resistance that he encounters. Yep. And I guess I would have liked in that moment, if that scene had articulated some kind of version of that, yeah. but I get, I get, I like your reading of it. That uh, makes me a little bit more on board with that scene. 
Well, it's interesting too because reading it and then rereading it, I was able to kind of go, that's what they meant. Like at first glance, you're going like, that's kind of a cop-out answer. But then you're seeing what unfolds in the next five issues and you're going, yeah. I mean, John's learning what it is. Like Clark can't do all that. Um, do you remember the Bronze Age issue we read? Oh, must there be a that? Superman? Where's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of the same connection, right? Where Superman's trying to help people and then it goes, you can do this. Like, I'm going to do the things that only Superman can do. You can do this. Like, um, but it, I, I do love that. I, I love the fact that John just asked the questions. Like, why don't you do more? Because that's why he's young. He's new at this game. He doesn't understand the rules. Yeah, no, I mean, like his question makes total sense. And, and yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, do you always want to just, you know, fight the symptoms versus the, you know, cure the disease itself, right? Yeah. And so it, it felt totally natural. And then very shortly thereafter, we sort of kick off our our Gamora storyline, right? Where these, yes. where, you know, John rescues these refugees and the police are instantly, you know, going to put them in cuffs. And John, you know, John intervenes and, you know, this unfolds and he really, you know, puts himself between, you know, the government and, and these people that he's protecting in numerous instances. Well, and again, like, again, Tom's doing a very subtle way of connecting what's in our headlines and what's in their headlines and in Metropolis. So what are we dealing with? How do we deal with people that definitely need help? Um, that are coming from a terrible place. Do we do we do we have open arms or do we have a hand that stops? You know, and and what those two choices have consequences. What what does that mean? Um, again, I I just, I just think I think I think this book does a really good job of connecting us to our current day problems without beating us over the head with it. It's it's clear it's there. I'd be interested in 10 years to read and go, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that I remember that time. That was hard. That was a hard time to think about. No, for sure. I mean, like, I, I guess what I what I come back to as well is how quickly the public turns on John, how easily they're manipulated by what Bendix makes them see, how Bendix is able to present this view of Gamora, right, as this paradise and the refugees aren't refugees, right? They're they're you know escaped criminals, and I think I don't know a decade ago reading this, I would have been like, ah, I don't know how believable this is that people would be so gullible that people wouldn't see no. what Bendix is really like. But now, and look, I've said this a billion times on the show, but the Krypton portion of the Superman origin story makes a, a ton more sense to me now. It's like, no, of yeah. course people would reject the findings of their lead scientists. But again, specifically in this context, it's like, yeah, all of that really made a lot more sense. So yeah, I agree. Not necessarily beating us over the head, but it has, yeah. it has real world parallels and it resonates in a way that again, it, it wouldn't have for me at least a, you know, a, a decade ago. All right. So question I need to ask you as a fellow fan, did you catch the throwback nod to the Christopher Reeve era? era? Oh, now I'm drawing a blank. Okay. So I saw it and I went, I wonder if he's going to notice it. So in issue five, the title of the issue is Who's Got You? Oh, that's, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, 
I loved that. I was like, wait, wait, you've got me. Who's got you? You know, I love that there's just, again, little nods to like things that we should care about or know about. And um, the quote that I have from that one is, I can save them all. I don't know if you saw that. Like John really struggling with the idea that I'm new to this game. I understand what I can do. I can save everybody. But he can't. He can't save everybody. And that was a big, I, I think what's really cool about reading this, I read it when it came out and now read it again. You watch John grow, even though, again, it's over like theoretically a year, you know, but it's just so interesting seeing him like ask questions and then learn the answers to those questions. That's what's exciting to me about a young Superman. That's what I like about this depiction. It wasn't the innocent like Superboy of the Silver Age or like, yeah, but it's more like, why can't I? I should. Oh, wait, this is why. Yeah, absolutely. Learning those consequences, learning he can save everyone, that fundamental Superman lesson. And you know what I like too here, especially when we talked about where the Superman books are going and we really do have this family aspect. And he, I mean, he I know he goes by Superman, but you know, I still think of him as Superboy, but we do have the Connor Kent Superboy, but you know, very different characters. And I think it's cool how this Superman family is being built out and there's room, there's space for for these different characters, which is really cool. And, you know, because we've talked on the show about whether or not Superman should be the sole survivor of Krypton or not. And I've sort of landed on the side of, I'm totally on board with certain exceptions. I don't necessarily need a ton of other Kryptonians floating around. Right. Kurt Busick recently, very recently, I had a Twitter thread where he was talking about this idea of what it actually means to be the last son of Krypton. And it's like the last born before the planet was destroyed. So he's like, I think I'm paraphrasing, but like people sometimes get hung up on, it's not that he's literally the only survivor, but yes. last son does have a specific meaning. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, you know what? Actually, that's right. And that does make me a little, a little bit more open to this idea of, of more Kryptonians. Yeah. Trying to think what else, like what else you want to talk about of this? Like where, where do you want to go next? Cause I, we've covered a lot. I mean, one thing I, I just want to say, just as I know we're happy that the secret identity is back, I, yeah, and this will not surprise you, I couldn't be happier that the Kents, Jonathan and Martha are back. And I know they're not, they didn't just come back, but you know, I mean, I guess it's been a few years since the doomsday clock, but to now have the three generations of Kent men mm -hmm. is just, it's, it's tremendous. I love it. Uh, I, I, I love that aspect to, you know, to have interaction between John and his grandparents to have, yes. like we were talking about Clark getting advice from John, Jonathan, and then going, turning around and having a conversation with his son. It's just, that's what we talk about, you know, you know, yes, you can kill off the Kens, but we're, you know, again, we're, I think we're losing more than we're gaining. Like there's so much that you can do. So uh, I'm very happy. So those scenes where we get that, you know, again, and yeah. there's not a lot where we get the, the three generations together, but when we do, I really, I really like that. We haven't seen it as much, but I'm hoping soon. Like if Jonathan Kent's your grandpa, you could do a lot worse. Like I'm excited for some really interesting conversations between John and Jonathan. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that, that gap, but that like, there's such an age gap, but such an understanding of him seeing him raise Clark and how he needs to also build into John 
when Clark can't. I think that's a really, really cool prospect for us to be able to see. You said Clark can't. Haha. <laughs> you know, not to belabor the point about the secret identity, but I, I did want to mention this too because I was thinking about it. I I know that the new Fifty Two era did give us a storyline where Clark's identity was exposed, but it was exposed. It wasn't a choice that he made. I feel like if you're going to tell this kind of story, a new Fifty Two version of the character is is a more believable vehicle for something like that. I mean, and we talked about this, like. I love the Kents being alive, but I could see some value when they did the new 52 of having the Kents off the board, right? Because it, it does free Clark to a certain extent, right? He really doesn't, and not that he was, you know, running amok per se, but there was a little bit more of that, like wild energy to the character, especially in those earliest Morrison issues. And you can do that, right? He's not checking in with them on the farm. And so in a world like that, where the Kents aren't there and he's not in that continuity, not even in a relationship with Lois, it's, I don't know, I feel like there, there, you know, maybe would be more potential there. It just, it, it just felt such, so unnecessarily risky to do to the people in your life. And that's why in, in this continuity, I could just never get around it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a couple of things that we haven't talked about yet that I do want to. So the, the Kello returns crossover, uh, not, not to, not to gripe here, but it's billed as a crossover and you should gripe. Yeah, you should gripe. I didn't love it. And it's numbered. So if you look on the covers and I think, you know, on the titles inside as well as, you yep. know, part one in in Action Comics and part two in Son of Kal-El, they are separate they stories. They were not connected. You know, they should have just had, they could have just had Kal-El returns the banner on them. Because yes, in all of the issues, Kal-El is back on Earth after Warworld. But it was not they, a single narrative across the two no, titles. That they really annoyed not, me. They were not parts. I think that was a sales ploy. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that I got to say that, but that was a sales ploy. That was, let's get everybody back on buying two books and then we'll get everybody back on buying three books. Yes. And what, I know I, I just, I hate it. I hate saying that out loud, but I know that's why they did it. And what really annoys me is I kept going back and forth because I was like, they must connect at some point. They don't. They don't. They don't. <laughs> All right. Um, there is one issue that is in. While you look for traits. that, let me let me give a plug to fellow Superman podcast. Oh yeah, go ahead. The the All Star Superfan podcast because very oh. recently they had uh, artist Kian Tormey right who drew the latter issues yeah. of Son of Kal El. They had him on. Um, so these are a couple of Irish lads who do the Superman podcast, and Tormey uh-huh. is an Irish artist and. In particular, he drew the issue where Superman's in Dublin, like when he's flying around the world and he's averting all these disasters. And so, you know, he brought Superman to, you know, to Dublin. And so they had an interview with him. So if people are interested. Isn't in Tormi, I feel like Tormi did some issues of World's Finest too. Oh, I don't, you know what? I, we will cover that in a later episode of the podcast. I haven't read it yet. I've only read the first issue, uh, but I, it's on the oh. list. Um, their variant covers are wonderful. The, the the Batman Superman World's Finest. There's a Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> uh, variant. There's a Paul McCartney variant. It's just a lot of fun. They're, it's a great book, but they're also just enjoying, I think, just the the bigness of it all. And and again, Mark's, Mark's doing a great job with it. Nice. What um, was the uh, thing that you found? So in 
in the rising uh, hardcover, they include obviously not only just the Nightwing crossovers, but there's the Son of Kal El annual. Oh yes, they are in there too. And I don't know if you got a chance to read that or if you get if you're to look at that. I put in my notes. I think that might be my favorite issue, uh, which which I was very surprised for my even self. I was like, mm, okay, back. But here's there's a lot of cool connections. So, did you read it? Did you get a chance to look at that one? Yes, I did read that when, one. When Batman knocks on the door. So, Batman knocks, or like, and then, and or no, you hear a knock, knock on the door. And Lois opens it and it's Batman. And John goes, did Batman just knock on our door? And Lois goes, yes, valuable lessons about personal privacy and boundaries were learned that day. So apparently, like Batman pulled the, I'm just going to show up in your kitchen BS. And Lois was having none of it. So they must have had this conversation like, you will knock on my door next time you show up. Was that a callback? (laughs) Was that a callback to the Tomasi Gleason? Rebirth. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it was. And I love that. I just, I, I, I don't know why there were certain little things. Lex is playing chess with Superman with um, John. There's a great thing there. It was, it was a lot of banter and dialogue that I just loved about that issue that felt it wasn't cheesy. It was like, Oh, this is stuff that we want to hear. This is side conversations. We never get to hear that. We want to hear and that's why I really enjoyed that issue. So if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, that one was a really good one. And yeah, interesting to see how the dynamic with Lex plays out with this this different Superman. And and I mean, John even poses to him, I guess, the similar idea that he did to his dad, right? About actually changing the world and what Lex yeah. is capable of doing. And so, you know, it's interesting how they're kind of aligned, right? In that way of, yeah. of wanting to do more. So yeah, no, I, th- I thought that was a really cool issue as well. I like that one a lot. That was really good. And then it's, yeah, it's, I was just say, it's really cool watching John's connection to Lex or his, uh, interactions with Lex. So when Lex is working out and John just shows up, do you need a spotter? And I, and Lex said something like, you know, your dad would just float outside my window judgmentally or something like that knew his boundaries. And John's like, I'm not my dad. And I was like, ah, I love it so much because he's like, no, I'm coming in. I know who you are. I'm not going to float outside your window. I'm going to look at you in the eye and say, like, yeah, I'm right here. Yeah. Lo- I loved all of that. I love that. Again, evolution. Like, nope. I know what my dad did. I know who you are. Yeah, that was a, that definitely was a standout issue. I'm glad you brought that up. And as far as Kal-El returns, I mean, I think we probably hit on the the most important points from the son of Kal-El issues, the the action comics issues really sort of wrap up the war world saga. Now that, that Clark is back on earth and he had taken uh, a couple of the war worlders home with him and war world itself is now orbiting earth. And that's posing a lot of questions for the leaders of the world. And then even arouses the interest of the new gods. So we have Orion and Calabac and and Metron and, you know, they try to take these, the, the children, one of whom Desaad, yeah, who is now, um, uh, imbued with this, uh, the, the, the power of the new gods from, from the heir of Olgren. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I did. I mean, I like the way, of course, Clark stood up to them and was able yeah. to send them packing. You know, I enjoy, I enjoyed the issues. It was just that 
they they didn't connect and it didn't feel like a true crossover. No. But in and of themselves, I, I enjoyed them. I always love like when when Clark reminds them just how powerful he is. Like you may be new gods, but I'm still going to crack you or Orion if you come near me. Yeah. Um, and I, there was some really cool art in that, in one of those issues too, where like just uh, Orion's taken it to the face. I think like a tooth comes out or the helmet's cracked and a lot of stuff. It was, it was a cool moment, but uh, I, I, I enjoy also not sorry for the spoilers, but the fact that now we look at those two kids are now adopted by Clark and Lois. And and John and others dealing with that, like, oh, okay, you've you've got two other kids now too, but um, I'm very excited to see where that's going to go too. Yeah, they're really leaning into this idea of family for sure, and of course with yeah. the the new action comics format as well, where we have the Philip Kennedy Johnson lead story, and then we have Dan Jurgens, yeah. you know, doing a story with the Kents, you know, set in the past when John was a kid. So yeah. I, I really like that they're that they're leaning into it. I think there's a lot of a lot of potential here. So, did you see too that Lee Weeks is yes. also? I was so excited because that's one of my favorite trades. Is that that Jurgens and Weeks Lois and Clark trade? That was look. I know when we did those episodes, I, I wasn't so <laughs> I, hot on all the on the rebirth stuff, especially given how I felt they had been built up. However, I did really like that miniseries, so I'm glad yeah. that. Look, I'll also say this. One of the problems I had with the aging up of John was I just felt like they could have found a way to have their cake and eat it too, mostly yes. through time travel. Like I really thought we could have done some version and maybe this would have gotten what I was going to say is could have gotten too convoluted. It's comics. It's like, is that even such a thing? Yeah, that's not because you could have had young John. Right. And then a an older time traveling John and you could have told stories with both. And so I feel like what we're getting now is essentially a version of that. Right. So, you know, just stories set in the past. But at least you're still spending time because just as the characters were robbed of those years with John, so too were yeah. the readers. Now, are you aware of this fan theory that John, this older John is not actually John? So in the, in the, you know, Bendis run, we find out after young John goes off with Jor-El, right? He's imprisoned right. by Ultraman, right? And that's referenced in right. the series. Um, and that's coming back by the way. That's John's going to go reconcile that. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. But one of the theories that I've seen floating around is that essentially a lot of this like clone saga sort of stuff. Like the, the older John, <laughs> the older John who came back isn't actually John, but maybe he's like Ultraman's son. I don't think the theory is that John is is it's nefarious. It's like he actually does think he's John. Um, but yeah. that like the real young John is actually still out there. That's again, this is only fan speculation. Um, but I just yeah. was curious if you would come across that. No, I haven't seen that yet. I, I just was really excited because I've kind of seen some previews of what's coming next. And there is a lot of baggage from that Ultraman. I mean, they imprisoned him for a long time. I'm glad that they are going to unpack that because you talk about trauma. I mean, that's oh, that's horrific. That's a lot. He's dealing with that a lot. And so that's that is coming over these news, this new series, I think, in the Avengers of Superman, where he is going to go like there will be reconciliation, like what's happening. Like, whoa, like I, not only him dealing with it, but going, I'm going to go find them. And maybe Clark will be going with him too. And he's going to be in the blue electric costume. Speaking of which next week, Bernie, we're not, we're not, there's one more thing I want to ask you about at least, but 
just just to give people a heads up, as the audience knows, every year so far, we've done a big Triangle Era event where we cover a few years of the Triangle Era in comics and other media, like Lois and Clark and Superman the Animated Series and so on. And we are beginning our, our next big, actually our final Triangle Era event, because this will carry us through the end of yeah. the Jurgens era, and we've already covered the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era. And what we will be beginning with and we'll be spending a lot of time on is the electric Superman and Superman Red, Superman Blue stories. And you're going to be here next week for part one of that. So this is exciting. I'm excited. I already have it. It's right up on my headboard, by my bed, ready to go after this podcast. That's what's next. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. One of the other fan theories, because Tom Taylor has been teasing that there's something we don't know about this new series that has not been guessed by anyone. So I guess Correct. this discounts these theories because one of the other ones is that we're going to get a, you know, John Blue, John Red sort of uh, sort of thing. But maybe maybe it's not that. Have at it, man. Just go. Just let's go. Let's <laughs> Yeah, I do, um, I do like I do like that idea, though, of him having the electric powers again, looking of, yeah. for ways to kind of, you know, chart, you know, individual paths for these characters. I think that's cool. Um, there's only one other thing that I had that I wanted to bring up that I don't know if we talked about, but the 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 special that kind of end capped all of the Kala return stuff. Um, I only skimmed that, but go for it. Had a same like ton of I think it was I think it was um, hold on, I got it right here. It was led by Mark Wade, but it was kind of cool. Marv Wolfman had a thing in there too. Um, a lot of artists. But something that stuck out to me cool too was we never really got to see how Batman would react when Superman came home. Right. And one of my favorite scenes, especially with them being back in world's finest, is like it was such a clear Batman and Superman are friends moment where like Batman likes to put on a good show. We know that he cares for Clark, but I put in all caps. They hug <laughs> Like, and I was like, Batman hugs Superman. Um, and I just think that's a really cool aspect of, again, we all have those people that we're close with. but And they, like, show affection only when it's really a big deal. And I was like, oh, see, like, Batman definitely loves soups. He gave him a big old hug when he came home. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, for sure. That that was cool. And, oh, and speaking of Batman, I did like in, in 10, Action 1050 where... You know, Batman's not too brokenhearted that the identity has been restored. And basically yeah. it's like, you know, this was a mistake to begin with. And he's right. He's right. Um, and But it, it's also perfectly in keeping with Batman to say that. And what we didn't mention before, you know, he does bring up this very important point to Clark of like, you know, this sort of turned Lois into the wife of Superman. And Clark's like, yeah, yeah like I didn't really think about that. It's like, yeah, clearly. But um, anyway, <laughs> uh. I like that it gave him some, uh, you know, some additional perspective and and again, that makes total sense for Batman to to have that perspective. So yeah, in that yeah. issue and the the special, I really thought that was cool. I mean, nobody likes to admit it, but Batman is usually right. He is usually right. Oh, so I guess that leads me to the last thing I wanted to ask you. I know we, we touched on it briefly, but the Nightwing crossover, especially as someone who's been a fan of the Nightwing book, I mean, I don't know, any general thoughts on the crossover itself or even just the dynamic with, between Dick and John? Oh, let me see really fast. Um... I, yeah, like, so little, little things I noticed. So I just was so much good stuff here. 
Um, Kellex, the uh, the fortress robot, waking Nightwing up, <laughs> waking Dick up out of his bed. Like, excuse me, sir, we have a problem. <laughs> it's like I just, I just love little things like that. Like, uh, um, there was the the fact that. Batman keeps lollipops right next to his smoke bombs yes. in his utility belt. That was freaking hilarious to me. It's like he should really think about moving the lollipops from the smoke. There's a line too. I forget what they said. It was like there's going to be a time where he's going to think he's throwing a smoke bomb, but he really throws a lollipop. Yes, and vice versa. And I was like, that's really cute. Like it was, it was cute. There's a great word for it. It was clever. It was fun. And again, like don't forget. Like Nightwing Dick Grayson is kind of like an uncle to John, but not a super huge age difference. Like there's, I mean, maybe 10 or 15 years. So again, that's like an uncle maybe versus a dad. But I just, it was kind of fun seeing them together in the same book because you had John and Damien, that dynamic and super sons. But now we have, John and, and Nightwing, which is a little bit closer to understand each other, but Nightwing can still build into him like a cool uncle. Yes. Yes. I, well, look, that kind of brings us full circle. We talked about how you and I have like a, you know, a, well, a cousin or, or brotherly vibe, but, yeah. but no, it's true. I like that crossover was great. It, it, again, it definitely made me more excited and interested to read the Nightwing series, which I will do. Yeah. And, and yeah, just to see, especially in the flashback, right? Where John, you know, flew despite, you know, Clark's uh, advice and got lost and he's in this cave and it's, you know, it's oh, Dick yeah. who's the one who goes in and goes over to him. Yeah. And yeah, I, I like that relationship. I like Dick as the mentor. And I think what's cool is yeah. I feel like, you know, we've seen a lot of instances in comics and continuity where I think sometimes from <clears throat> the company perspective, the idea is to kind of streamline, not have too many versions of characters and, you know, uh, you know, preserve this, this facade that all the characters aren't aging and characters like Dick Grayson kind of, you know, kind of, you know, you know, throw a wrench in the works because if he's a certain age, what does that mean for everyone else? But right. I think what we're seeing here and, and you laid it out brilliantly as far as, you know, sort of, you know, young John and Damien, and then you have Dick here and and it just shows what a rich canvas you have here with these yeah. characters and having them all around and having them interacting, it can work because they do all yeah. occupy a different space. Like when when Dick is in the Kent kitchen talking with yeah. Lois, it is different than Batman standing there in his cape and cowl. You have yes. different colors and different dynamics to play. And I like that they seem to be embracing this at DC right now. So I'm very, very yeah. happy about that. Well, and we got to be really careful as creators. Like, okay, how is this book going to be read 20 years from now? Like when we're when we're old and gray and we're talking about some of our favorite things from the, the early 2020s, like will it hold up? Not just from a, uh, I guess, relevance, but from continuity. And I'm sure there'll be like 17 rebirths up to then. Um, but it's really interesting. Like we need to be very careful as creators that, yes, there are 12 issues in a year. But we should really probably make those 12 issues really only happen over the span of a month. So it's whether you want to go the interstellar timeline or whatever. Like we, we got to just start thinking about how do we make these characters age 
very, very slowly while we age very rapidly. Yes. Yes. Oh, actually, I do have one last question for you. And I, yeah. I keep coming back to Action 1050, but I, I meant to ask you this earlier. Is there anyone else that you wish had been in the bubble at the Kent farm who could continue to know the secret? Because again, we're really talking core inner circle here. The Kents, Lois, Jay, that's it. And of course, we know the other super, the other members of the superhero community. But is there anyone else that you were like, oh man, I wish they had been in that bubble? I think Kenny Braverman's corpse. Oh man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we went there. Well, Sorry. <laughs> I was going to just say Kenny Braverman, but no, he's, he's a fried biscuit. <laughs> well, no, because uh, Philip Kenny Johnson oh, like, did don't. stuff with him in the backup I, stories. I don't know how that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. You know what I would say, honestly, Perry and or can, Jimmy, to be honest. I can't. You think so? You, you, you'd want him to still know? Yeah, I think Jimmy, I would. Jimmy, yes. Perry, no. I mean, well, in fairness, Perry knows anyway. That's always my theory. So, uh, I mean, clearly that's oh, not yeah. the case. But my that's in right. my in my head, in my heart, he always knows. So, yeah, Jimmy. Um, what about Lana? Oh, did, yeah. Ooh, that's I didn't even think about that. Lana should always know. Lana should always know. Ooh, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. Ah, we have to see. All right, how this- boys. I hope they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's your next story. I mean, I'm sure they've. I'm sure a lot of thought went into who was in the bubble and yeah, and who wasn't. Um, yeah, I. You know, I love Perry. I don't love that it seems like he's going to be sidelined for a while. I think one of the covers yeah. to the upcoming issue shows Lois in front of the door that says Lois Lane, editor in chief. Yeah. Here's the thing. I I admire the attempt to you know show us a different dynamic, put the character in a different context. We'll see how this plays out. It's just. Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, they did an episode where Lois took over temporarily and it was Clark's boss yeah. and that caused friction. The triangle era that we just talked about last year had that whole run where Clark took over for Perry when he was fighting cancer. Yeah. And of course it was ridiculous because Clark was always running out of Superman. He was missing meetings and things like that. So, I mean, we've seen versions of this, but I, you know, look, I'm, I keep an open mind and curious to see how it plays out, but I don't love the idea of, I hope, hopefully we can check in with Perry along the way. Yeah. There's only one other thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was like kind of badass. Yeah. So Clark leaves. And the moment Clark leaves, they drop a superhero on the Kent farm and blow that crap up. Yeah. And that whole issue is so cool to watch because the artistry of the house, like, exploding and then John slowly like saving people quickly as like that everything is coming down. It was just genius. But I'm like, damn, like Clark, Clark is gone. Go. And I was like, Oh, like that was kind of dark as hell too. Like I thought it was great. That was cool. I really, that was, you know, it makes you think how many times has this poor Kent farm been demolished? <laughs> I mean, thankfully the justice league rebuilds it for them really quickly. And, you know, Jonathan and Martha yeah. have ideas for renovations and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that was cool. I did also like where they made the point of saying like, oh, we've put most of our, you know, personal effects in storage. Oh, <laughs> so. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Well, plus any insurance company be like, yeah, no, we're not doing this again. <laughs> like, fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But no, that's it, man. I, I got nothing else. I, I loved it. And I'm excited for what's next. 
no, same here. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed the the reading project. I, yeah. you know, I'm sorry that I was so late to the game, but at the same time, it was really fun to be able to read the whole thing uh, together, yeah. which is how I tend to prefer to do it anyway. So, yeah, I'm excited for the third, the third hardcover to come out because I really, I, I like to go back and read this again, like down the line too. This is, it's been a long time since I can say this, but I am current on the Superman titles and yeah. When, in terms of talking remaining modern era gaps, all that's really left is the new Krypton saga before the new 52, which we're going to hit at the end oh. of this year. So that's coming. Okay. And that's really it. I mean, I didn't read all of the new 52, but I read a lot of it. I didn't yeah. read the Bendis action comics run. I may or may not hit that at some point. I obviously did the main Superman run, but action did all the Leviathan stuff. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's worth a read. All right. The, Le- the Leviathan stuff's kind of cool. It's all right. all right. All right. I mean, I know that's not, I know that's not a ringing endorsement. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but I guess, my, but my point is, with the exception of those little little remaining pockets, yeah. at least one major one, which will be closed. I, I've I've read that's a big deal. I've read everything in the modern era, and I'm <gasps> current. And now, you know, I have the ultra tier on the DC app, so I'm only one month behind the, the you know print. So I do plan to read. I'm going to, as much as I say, I like to read when it's kind of all settled, but I'm going to try to, you know, kind of stay current. Maybe we'll mention it here and there on the podcast, but we'll do, you know, we'll do a big episode, you know, maybe a year from now about, you know, what's, what's been going on uh, in these books once they have a few arcs under their belt and then it'll be fun to check in again. I think that there needs to be like a anniversary episode where you have like six of us on like a zoom call and, and like, like here's a topic. Let's go. Like Bernie, what do you want? <laughs> like a, like a, like like a like a JLA table almost. <laughs> I'm not opposed to the idea, and you're not the first guest to suggest that. I, I like the idea <laughs> that the guests want to interact with each other, and there there could be something fun about having sort of a like a super summit. So uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm I really just I really just want to hang out and talk to Justin DeVoe. That's really all I really am asking for. <laughs> <just> so, <laughs> He'll love that. I love that. No, that's that's <laughs> terrific. No, I love. No, I know. You know, that actually, it's kind of a funny thing because you know, it's not like we had. I guess, like at a minimum, I could create like a, a group thread or chat or something. But yeah. like, I do like how you know, even people who've not actually spoken to each other, yeah. know each other through both guesting in separate episodes. And uh, well, some of us are friends on Facebook now too. We're like, we're actually friends on Facebook now, which is hilarious. I love that. Um, we should. We got to start a Slack channel or something where we could like. Type each other ideas for for podcasts. Really drive you nuts. You're like, guys, I'm good till 2025. I'm okay. It's good. Well, I'm part. I, I I am on a couple of. There are a couple of different threads going with with fellow Superman podcasters. So we've like there's oh there's God. a few things going on. <laughs> in your in your free time away from your Superman podcast, you talk about Superman podcasts. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Just can't get enough, I guess. But it's fun. Uh, you know, yeah. almost 100 episodes in, there's always, you know, there's always so much Gosh. to talk about. But listen, one hour and 50 minutes. So we made it under the two hour mark. I'm proud of you. We did it. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, I don't know, is it me and my fault we go so long? But I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's a, definitely, it's both of our faults all the time. Uh, yeah. No, but it's always good. It's always fun. I thank you very much yeah, for man. taking the time. And I look forward to doing this with you again next week and talking <laughs> to <week>. Superman. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Uh, we'll be All recording right. a week from now and people will be hearing it a week from when they hear this. So uh, awesome. cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Really, thank you as always. It's always a pleasure. Always enjoy chatting with you. Audience, yeah, thank you as always. Really appreciate you tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
make sure you come back next week for the start of our next big, our final Triangle Era event. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot to cover and I'm excited to get into it. As always, it'll be. Yeah. No, no, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say it's going to be electric. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, it's (laughs) it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.